Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, and I'm with my co-host... Hello, Aura Zen. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us on wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks, just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DCaduto. Where can they find you? I'm also on LinkedIn and on Instagram. On both of them, you can find me under my name, E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M. Just a couple quick announcements. Our Patreon channel recently just went live. You can find us by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels that you can support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as earning your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly meeting with both of us. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description. Which leads me to my next exciting announcement. Beginning in May, the channel will be starting Flashback Fridays, which will mean we'll be talking about movies from the past. The first film we'll be discussing will be Iron Man, and then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you know when the new podcast is released. So today is our weekly roundup show, where we'll be discussing some noteworthy stories that happened during the week, including the producers of the short film Russell back in the headlines. I'll tell you why coming up. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have agreed and on board to tell the story of a huge sports star story, and two major streaming services are in the news, one for a good reason and the other not so much. Let's get started. So this comes from the Hollywood Reporter. The producers of Rust knew that firearm safety procedures were not being followed on set and demonstrated a, quote, plain indifference to the welfare of the cast and crew, according to a New Mexico safety agency. The New Mexico Environmental Department of Occupational Health and Safety Bureau, OSHA, found numerous violations of safety protocols, including the introduction of live ammunition onto the set and a failure to train crew on how to properly handle firearms. It issued the highest possible citation and maximum fine allowed by state law of $136,793. The report states that Rust movie producers ignored, quote, the hazard associated with firearms by routinely failing to practice their own safety protocols, failing to enforce adherence to safety protocols, and failing to ensure that the handling of deadly weapons was afforded the time and effort needed to keep the cast and crew safe. Additionally, the employer disregarded or otherwise did not follow up, ask questions, or try to understand what happened when employees notified management about the misfire incidents and not feeling safe on set. The investigation concerns the fatal shoot in October 2021 on the set of Russ that killed cinematographer Halley Hutchinson and wounded director Joel Souza. The agency concluded that there was a, quote, serious violation, end quote, of the New Mexico OSHA State Act. Russ management implemented its own safety protocols taken from the Industry-Wide Labor Management Safety Committee. One of the rules stated that live ammunition was never to be introduced. 
Russ did not develop a procedure to ensure live rounds were not brought onto the set, including before the armory time to thoroughly inventory ammunition. Other violations include protocols that stating no one could use firearms unless they were trained to, mandating safety protocols before scenes involving guns and not to point a weapon at anybody. The detail reports two previous incidents in which firearm accidentally went off. The first misfire, which happened October 16th, less than a week before the fatal shooting, occurred when props master Sarah Zachary inadvertently fired a blank round as she finished loading a .45 caliber rifle that was aimed at the ground. And the second involved a stunt double for Alec Baldwin, who said the gun, quote, just went off. Well, I mean, nobody wins here, right? This is one of those things that all the way around is this should never happen. And it's a tragic situation. I mean, I don't remember the last time. I mean, you hear about accidents happening on set occasionally, but there are safety protocols and whatnot. This is just, it's Bush League, as far as I'm concerned. And you had somebody, the director, get wounded, and a cinematographer or a crew member die. How does this happen? Except negligence. And the arm, and this is why armory, we, there are armories on set. And $136,000? Really? That's it? If anybody, to me, if you can find them, give the money to the family. That's what you do. I'm sure that this would, is not going to bring her back. And I think that, you know, this whole thing's a tragedy all the way around. But at least that is something that they can use. Especially in these times, right? Where we're paying $5 a gallon for gas. Let me hear your thoughts on this. Uh, like you said, I think it's a tragedy. I think it's hard to point fingers to because I'm I'm sure nobody wanted this to happen. And of course, it was some someone's mistake. And I think we can all just, as humans, we can understand that mistakes happen. Not that it's to be forgiven, of course. I agree with you with the idea of giving then money to the family because the family definitely can make some use of that. Any idea or any regulation that is going to bring more safety into set is valid. And it's a shame. It's a shame that it happened. In my opinion, I just don't think we should have guns, period. Not out of set anywhere. Guns just shouldn't have a place in society. But I know this is very idealistic. But if so, if you want to mimic real life, just don't have a freaking you know, original gun on set, just have fake ones. We have fake whiskeys, we have fake cigars, we have fake everything, just have a fake gun too. There you go. Problem solved, I guess. No, I tend to agree with you. As far as, this is why armories, I mean, when you're talking about major motion picture studios, Universal, Paramount, MGM, whatever, this is why we have protocols. This is why we hire people, when I say we, I mean the studios, they hire people and they make sure they go through all of the procedures and to ensure that this doesn't happen. Now, I think that there needs to be a hotline that a crew member can call that if they're on a set, let's say a rust or another small film, and they don't feel safe. 
and they see violations, that they can call a, a hotline, a 1-800 hotline, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and report the incident. And then they'll get back to them within 24 hours. And it doesn't matter if it's around the world or, you know, here in Los Angeles. And what ends up happening is you have a safety individual go out to the set. They examine things. And they don't know the set people and director. They don't know they're coming. And so what ends up happening is they'll observe. And they don't have to stay the full day, but five, six hours. And then they can write a report up. And from that report, and this is what the, you know, OSHA had found, is that they violated certain laws. And But when you don't have a an outlet, and, you know, even the crew, even the state and the crew didn't feel safe. And what are you going to do, walk off your job? So, I mean, this is why OSHA's there, but it's one of those too little, too late situations. They need to do something faster. Otherwise, you've got somebody wounded. You've got somebody that's passed away. The family's never getting them back. And $136,000, even if it is a small studio. I mean, if I'm the head of the, the, if I'm the production company, I'm giving that check to the family. Not that that's going to make anything better. Let's, let's be clear about that. But it would definitely help them. Because no amount of money is going to bring her back. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked to see a lawsuit, you know, wrongful death lawsuit against the production company and against the director. You know, chalk this one up for a teaching moment. And if, if this doesn't happen again, then it's, there has been, this should be shown in every film, this should be taught in every film course in this country. This is what you don't do. I remember when I was in my film class, the first rule going out to make our shorts, our, and our professor said this explicitly, no guns. That's it. Doesn't matter if it's a toy gun, doesn't matter if it's a paper gun, <laughs> no guns. And so, unfortunately, this is a situation where it's, it's a live and learn type of situation. Yeah, but for those who might claim that it's impossible to have some types of movies, like action movies without guns, I do not remember if it's a top... I think it's a Top Gun movie. Yeah, it was a Top Gun movie. I don't know which one of them was, but it was entirely shot and not a single firearm was used. It was There wasn't one one shot. You can do all of that stuff in post. Well, but what I'm trying to say is like they actually had a whole action movie. And no gun was fired, you know. So there you go. You can have a good story without guns. Yeah. I mean, guns are just a, a vehicle to an end, right? I mean, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Steven Seagal, and, and I'm just bringing him up, or, you know, when, when you see his, his earlier stuff under siege, and even though that was military, but, you know, hard to kill and everything else, he, used, he was a police officer, but he, he didn't use gun that, guns that much. He used his, his karate, and there's no reason why. And I understand it was a Western. They didn't have this, but it's just, it's a tragedy. That, that's the only way, that's the only thing that can be said about this. It's a tragedy. And hopefully, and I say fingers crossed, hopefully this is a teaching moment. And this doesn't happen again. 
I mean, the, the only other death I can really think about off the top of my head that really happened was the Twilight Zone back in 1983, I want to say. 1981 or 1983. I mean, yes, you had The Crow with Brandon Lee. I'm not disputing that, but I'm not... Those are the only two major Hollywood incidences that there have been people dying on set. There have been people getting injured. You know, Tom Cruise breaks an ankle or doing his stuff. Stunts, right? Stunt, but stunt works yeah. is different. There's a lot of problems yeah, with absolutely. stunts. But I feel like sometimes art is just a reflection of what happens in society. And we had now... So from, from 2010 to 2019, America sold 13 million guns a year during the pandemic this volume was up to 20 million guns a year so almost a double so all that to say that one in every five americans purchased a gun during the pandemic so life mimics art i guess that's an incredible statistic i yeah i'm blown away by that i did had no idea and i mean it's one of those inventions you you know you almost wish was never invented, but I mean, I know it's too idealistic, but I'm on the same boat. I just wish. Yeah, we all- no, I understand. All right, let's move something to a, let's move on to a little something more upbeat, shall we? So, this comes from the rap. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have lined up their next project together. They will star and co-star and produce a true story drama about the, how the multi-billion-dollar partnership between NBA legend Michael Jordan and Nike was born, with Amazon Studios and Skydance co-producing. Affleck, who will also direct the film, will play Nike co-founder Phil Knight, while Damon will play the shoe company's marketing chief, Sonny Verasco, who oversaw the deal with Jordan. Introduced in 1984 during Jordan's rookie season with the Chicago Bulls, Nike's Air Jordan sneakers arguably became the most iconic brand ever made, and paved the way for the contemporary sneaker industry with athletes' endorsements. Verasco's quest to sign Jordan to what was then the third-place shoe company takes him to Jordan's parents, and in particular his powerful, dynamic mother, as well as his former coaches, advisors, friends, and those close to Michael. Jordan himself is a giant mythical figure hovering above the movie and is never seen while Verasco tries to reach him while gaining access to those close to him and around him. The project will be the first from Skydance's new sports division held by President John Wyback, who's a producer of the hit 30 for 30 Chicago Bulls docuseries, The Last Dance, and co-directed the ESPN documentary Soul Man about Verasco's life and career. Mandalay Bay, which is run by The Last Dance producer, Peter Gruber will also produce the film. So this is one of those movies where everybody knows the story. Well... I won't say everybody knows the story. How much do you know about Michael Jordan? Well, I have, well, I've seen the documentary, right? So Okay, so you have seen The Last Dance. Okay. Yeah, Last Dance was actually really good. It was all over. Yeah, you know, it was it was an amazing I've seen it myself. It was an amazing documentary, 10-part series. You can find it on Netflix too, which we'll get to later on. But this is one of those characters that he's bigger than life. People know the story. You know, goes to North, goes in UNC under Roy William under uh, Dean Smith. The in the documentary, he actually Michael himself talks about you know because he hit the game winning shot his freshman year to win the national championship. 
he says, I went from Mike Jordan to Michael Jordan. And so he actually got cut from his high school basketball team, which not a lot of people know. His coach came back, said, you know, let me see what you got next year. And so the Bulls draft him his rookie year. And so I think that it's an interesting take just because everybody knows Nike and everybody knows Michael Jordan. I actually, so I remember my mother buying me a pair of Air Jordans when they went to the Olympics back in 92. It was the red and, you know, I wanted them so badly. You know, there were 100 and at the time I'm 15, so what do I know, right? I wore those every single day. $120. I mean, they're probably worth 10 times that amount today, but I swear I never, I never ever paid more than $60 for a pair of shoes. Those things, I mean, because it's not worth it. They're shoes. Now, for collectors, that's fantastic. But, so this is an interesting take on a person that everybody knows. And, and that, by the way, this is why it's going to Amazon. So let me ask you this, then. If they had, I mean, Skydance Sports is actually, you know, doing a production of this and or co-producing. If they actually... Do you think this would work in the in the theaters? Do you think if if this wasn't a wide release, whatever the, the title is or whatever, Michael, let's just say this name of the movie is Michael, do you think it would work? I'm not even sure if it's going to work on Amazon because a good story has to have some good drama. And I'm interested to see what is the drama they're going to create out of that. Well, I mean, I, pro- I mean, the only drama I could think they were going to actually do out of that would be... All of the other shoe companies, like Adidas and Reebok, and would try to get this guy, right? So what was the selling point? I don't know. It's just like it's – I always think it's interesting, those business movies, you know? Like I feel like The Wolf of Wall Street, there was something there. The Big Crash, there was something there too that is different. We could all relate, but – you know, about a, a movie about a sign, a contract being signed. Um, to be very fair, maybe it's just me. I technically would not be interested in watching it. It's not even, I don't know. It's like, I don't really care about Nike signing a contract with Michael Jordan, but maybe there's a story behind it that is worth telling. And, and I don't know yet. Yeah. I mean... Let me tell you, let me, let me say something interesting. Though. I think it is important to uh, our audience to know. A few years ago, I was hired to produce this very specific documentary of a, a woman crossing volcano, an active volcano. So we would do like, what is the name? Like a zip line almost over a volcano and she would, you know, zip line it. And it's something extremely hard to produce because you need super expensive ropes that are not going to catch on fire and you need to protect the stunt with the fire resistant stuff, <laughs> to say the least. Very, very specific stuff, like NASA was involved. So I found only one guy who would be allowed to work on that scenario, and he's a Canadian guy, and he shared with me, and he did something similar for Nat Geo. In Canada, they are forbidden to fix. So there is a scene, if you watch it in in the U.S., the guy who did something very similar to what I, to what I helped produce doing. So the guy that was in the zip line, they were doing something, so he got bored, so he kind of got tired, and he seemed like he was taking a nap. In the U.S., they said they he fainted because it was too hot and the condition was too extreme, and it's not true. 
in Canada, it's forbidden for you to lie. So they had to say something else. That scene wasn't really used. But here, you can, you, you can add the drama. You can literally lie. So then I'm like, I, the thing about those movies is that I don't like when they lie to me. And honestly, I don't think there is a great story behind it. So they're going to have to lie about some things. They're definitely going to add some. I feel like every American movie has to have some bullshit romantic thing going on. So, you know, like it's nothing romantic. It's about Nike signing a contract with Michael Jordan. And I'm sure they're going to put some good looking lady at some point. Maybe it's one of the producer's wife and she's mad because she believes in her husband and her husband never signed a contract and blah, blah, blah. And they're struggling. They have kids, you know, like, I don't know. I'm kind of done yeah. with all this. No, I, yeah, it's one of those stories, I think, that and I understand what you mean. I get it. I mean, you look at any bio movie, I mean, whether it's Rocket Man or Joy or whatever it is and there has to be they're always going to you know that's that term quote based on a true story correct correct they have to they it has to be a little dramatic i don't know it always have to be dramatic otherwise we're not gonna our time of the day i'm not criticizing that exactly but i'm criticizing Sometimes how they do it, and it's they- oh yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think the whole thing, Jordan is is one of those guys that is bigger than life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you. He is bigger than life. He's he's an NBA owner. He's got. I mean, he's so big that this is about the only, the last thing on his bucket list, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? I mean, so I don't know. Let, let's just see how this plays out. I mean, look, if the script is good, it, it might be worth seeing. So, I mean, if, there is only, see, the thing is, right now, there's only two people attached to it. I mean, we, have, we, know, the, we know the parties involved, and we know who's it going to be about. That's it. I think once, you know, once we have a better idea, show me, show me a trailer. Show me a teaser. So, show me a trailer. If I still don't think it's believable. I'm not going to bother with it. No, I, 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 I think people will think it's believable, but I don't know. Also, I'm, yeah. I'm very curious to know I mean, if Nike poured money into it. Well, I'll be curious. Is in The only way you really get authenticity, the only way, is if Jordan is in this. That's it. I don't think it's the only way. Well, one of the only ways. Because it's his story, right? He knows better than anybody else. I'm sure he was one of the consultants for the movies, you know, but... Uh... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'll, no doubt. Oh, I'm Consultant? I'm sure he was a producer. <laughs> I'm sure he was an EP on the film. So that that's a to-be-continued type of thing. And when, when this thing starts to get shooting and, and rolling, that will be interesting to see. So let's move on. So this comes to us again from The Hollywood Reporter, and this is about HBO Max. HBO and HBO Max streaming service ended March with 76.8 million global subscribers, an increase of 3 million after hitting 73.8 million subscribers as, at the end of last year. Telecom giant AT&T disclosed the user's gain, which marked a contrast to Netflix subscription loss in the first quarter, 
that led Wall Street analysts to reassess their stance on the stock and also drag this down rivals on Wednesday, which we'll get to in a minute, like I said. In reporting its first quarter financials Thursday, its first earnings updates and spinning off entertainment weren't immediate early this month to merge with Discovery. HBO and HBO Max domestic subscribers once again reached 48.6 million as of March 31st, up 1.8, and it goes into a couple of other numbers. HBO Max added 12.8 million subscribers over the period of 12 months ending in March, with 4.4 of those being domestic. David Zasloff inherited an organization with one of the best global portfolios of beloved IPs and intellectual properties, a team with unparalleled talent and a few truly global direct consumer players as evidenced by the continued growth in HBO Max and subscribers. We're excited about the potential for HBO Max growth and the service as it launches into more new territories. So, $3 million, that's not too bad. I found it interesting that, that they ended the number right as the pandemic was about to start. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you need at least a full year or 18 months to really assess how a company is going to do. Because, any look, anybody can just walk in to anything made and say, oh, this is, you know, it's on the upswing. And all you got to do is take a look at Disney, right? Disney is one of those companies where when Bob Iger was there, however you feel about Disney as a company, Bob Iger, that was an empire for 15 years plus. When he left, he had this new guy, his, his director in, you know, of parks and, and recreation, Bob Chapek come in and slowly but surely started to deteriorate things, didn't want to give creative control over to people, didn't let people do this, didn't let people do that. All he wanted was yes men. And then, of course, you had the whole Black Widow thing and the, all the comments that were made by him, the character assassination, whatever. Everybody, every if you follow that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, go back and Google some of the stories and all the character assassination and everything else. And eventually they said, okay, because we got we got to pay her. JPEG basically ran the, into the ground. So I'm not saying that this is, this is great for them, but it's we're not even a month or six weeks into this merger. Let's see how this goes in a year. Let's come back in, at the end of 2023 and see where we're at. Now, if it's 100 million, 105, then you know what? He's doing a hell of a job. And Zazov has had success in whatever he's done. So I think six weeks is just too early. And I don't know. I mean, what do you think about, how do you think that's going to play out as far as, okay, so two questions. Do you think it's worth posting the, numbers for like six weeks after and how do you think he's going to do long term i don't know how he's going to do long term i know they're posting the numbers because they think it's good enough and you know adding three million subscribers something to celebrate for sure i think it's inevitable that every streaming is gonna we're gonna go back to tv at the end of the day so you know you're talking about netflix and netflix admitted creating a second plan option a cheaper one with 
advertisement. So we're coming back to TV. <laughs> so it's so interesting. People are like, the great thing about streaming is that we can watch it all at once. No, we cannot. Now we have to wait another week to watch another episode of that show. And all you have to do is take a look at Disney Plus's model. For what I was just talking about, all you have to do is take a look at Disney Plus's model. The Mandalorian or even WandaVision. WandaVision, when it first went on to Disney Plus, was an all right show. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm still late to the party. I have to sit down and watch it. But when they released it, it was okay. By that third or fourth week, because you're creating and cr buzz and talk and everything else, and it's crescendoing. And while it was only six or seven episodes, that was the number one show in the world for the last two weeks of that show being out. That's like Moon Knight that's out. They realized they, they, hit, they struck a nerve. The minute that they said, oh, well, wait a minute. If we do this once a week, we can really pipe this up. And that's what they did. Of course. They need, they need to increase tension. They need to increase attention and get buzz. And, they, you know, and then it becomes that whole thing of friends getting together to watch that. You know, I remember with the Game of Thrones. Like, I, like you said, I was also very late for the party. I just watched it in the pandemic all at once. Because I admit, I hate waiting. I don't want, I don't wait. I don't, I, I rather a whole season or actually I, I rather the whole show to be finally done, then I'm going to sit and watch. I, but this whole thing, like, I, like for instance, I've been waiting for Stranger Things 4 now, I guess. Like for what? It, it's been canceled years and years. It's like, I'm so done with waiting. So whenever they cancel the show, then I'll watch it all. Yeah. Okay, so is my, I want to say it's the end of May. I want to say like May 24th. May 21st or May 24th, I think, is, is that fourth season date. I, no, I was the same way with Dexter. And, you know, somebody, one of my old buddies turned me on to Dexter. He's like, you got to watch the show. And I went, well, what are you talking about? And I watched the first season, and I went, this is all on DVD. It's been out. Like, went out and I bought the, I binged the whole thing in like a month. <laughs> But, no, I understand what you mean. And, you know, I think in all honesty, though, getting back to the article, I think posting these numbers, nobody cares about the numbers. Well, they, they care about the numbers, but your average person, they don't care that they made three million more subscribers. Well, the average person might care in the end just because we all want to be. So I did this amazing interview with, I think he's, he's a Harvard professor. I don't remember now. We were talking about social media, right? About how... So many people are like, that shouldn't have a monopoly. And he agrees with that. But it's like, how do you do it? It's like, because so many people said, break up big techs. And it's like, that's not going to work. Because when you talk about social media, we all want to be in the same place. We all want to connect. So you don't want to be in a social media that you don't have another users. You want to be where your friends are, right? That's why Instagram and so TikTok and all that. And I feel like it's almost the same for streaming. You don't want to be left out of something that everyone is talking about. So you're like, okay, let me buy this one because everyone's talking about this show, that show, and that show. So I think we also care about, hey, everyone is going to, you know, HBO Max. HBO Max. What is going on there that I might be missing out? And also because, of course, everyone, especially in America now with all these trading apps that makes everything easy for you to buy and sell in the stock market, I feel like the average American is actually paying more attention to the stock market than, than we think. And those numbers are definitely 
resonating in the market. For oh, sure. yeah. I, w- I would agree with that. I mean, at, even they're probably paying to, more attention to the market now than they were five years ago. I mean, even, you know, 401ks and price of oil because that affects gas. And, and no, I, I, would, I would definitely agree with you on that. And the other thing, too, is, and I absolutely 100% agree with you. You want to be, be inclusive because that's what it's about. If you're watching something and you tell me about it, then I want to be in that community with you so we can talk about it, right? So I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good game for them. However, I think that it's a little early. Let's see what he does and let's see how they roll out everything in the next six, eight, ten months. Because that's really, if he's that successful in his other things, he's going to make this even more successful. So we'll see. But speaking of Netflix, and this is the big story of the day. This comes from IndieWire. We're not here to beat up on Netflix. However, the news this morning, now this was written on Tuesday. However, the news required kicking Netflix a bit while it's down. While their stock is way down, Netflix closed at $348, unbelievable, $348.42 per share. When the markets reopened at 9.30 Eastern on Wednesday, Netflix was down more than $100 per share to its lowest level since 2018 and then dropped another $25. It closed Wednesday at $226.19. Last fall, shares briefly traded at $700 a share. What the hell happened? For starters, we should point out the lion's share of Tuesday to Wednesday's loss actually occurred all at once. Just as the United States stock markets rang their closing bell on Tuesday, when Netflix revealed it had actually lost 200,000 global paid subscribers in the first quarter of this year. Losing subs is never a good look, and it was the first time that happened to Netflix in over 10 years. But the company previously expected to add to add 2.5 million subs in that period. Netflix has also revealed that the current quarter will also see the additional loss of an estimated 2 million paid subscribers. Yikes. So to your point and what you were just talking about, that new plan that they were rolling out, people were like, oh, no, we're not going to have this. But that's huge. Now, granted, 200,000 people, when somebody like HBO has 40 million, it's a drop in the bucket, right? But that's a lot. That Now, that's global, too. Let's, you know. But that's still a lot of people. 200,000. Say, yeah, I'm done. And they're going to lose another 2 million. I can attribute this to a couple of things myself. Number one, I think you have better content on other streaming services, right? For example, the Batman just came out on HBO Max or is going to be coming out in a few days. Now, for those people that have seen it and they want to see it again, they can, but they've got to subscribe. Okay, that's number one. Number two, I think you have the oversaturation of streaming markets or streaming things, platforms. When Netflix first came out, it was the only one. Now, since then, look at how many you have. You have Hulu. You have Amazon. You have HBO Max. You have Paramount Plus. 
You have Peacock, which is the NBC Universal. You have Disney Plus. You have all these streaming services. So now, if you have a budget, let's say you have only fifty dollars to spend on entertainment, or however much, what are you going to spend it on? Are you going to spend it on streaming services A, B, and C, or something like a Netflix? Especially if it's a higher priced plan and you don't have to deal with ads. So I think people are like, you know what? I can just go get all of these others which have better content and IPs on them and I don't need Netflix. And I think that the third thing too is the theaters are starting to come back. And if I can go see a movie in a movie theater rather than on my couch, guess what? I'm going to go to the movie theater because the movie experience is a completely different experience and we've missed that for the last two years. So I think there's a number of different things there. And finally, the content. The majority of their content, and I've said this before, is okay. Don't get me wrong. They have some absolute gems like The Crown, Queen's Gambit, The Irishman, they have some gems on there, but it's few and far between. So I think when you lose that many subscribers, and this is going to be a free fall. Now, I'm not saying it's going under. Let's let's be clear. I'm just saying that it's taking a little bump in the road. It's going to be interesting to see where those 200... I, I wish there was an exit poll to say, okay, you're leaving Netflix. Are you going to A going to go back to the theater to watch a movie. B, go to a different streaming service, and if it is, which one is it? Or C, not do it at all. Because then you have an idea of... Of course, what's, what's going doing? on? I definitely feel like movie theaters have nothing to do with that. I feel like it's a completely, like you said, it's a completely different experience. And I don't think people are canceling Netflix to go to the movie theater. I think if anything, it's like, and honestly, for me, it's expected. You know, we are beating up the first one to get to the party. So, of course, Netflix is the biggest one is going to see the drops going first. Now, what we have to understand is if Netflix model, which is no advertising, just monthly payments from subscribers all over the world is worth it or not. Now they're going to be opening up to, you know, advertisement, which some other streamings already do. In my opinion, it's inevitable. I don't think it is possible to have a streaming service based, and I'm a journalist, I can say it because I've worked in many different magazines, in newspaper, in the idea. I mean, we would all love not to depend on advertisement, right? But the thing is, content is very expensive. It's very, very expensive to create good content. Rather, if it's, I don't care if it's a written content or, you know, like I, I've worked in televisions before. For you to get like a two minute thing on the news, on air, it has to go to producers. First of all, you have the pitcher. I don't know if that's the name of that in, in, in English, but you know, you have someone that comes up with the topic in a meeting and say, how about we do that? The editor approves. It goes to the producer to find who are going to interview. Then you have the driver, you have the cameraman, the sound guy, the lighting guy, the reporter, the makeup artist for the reporter. And then you have 
the guy who's going to edit the written part and the guy who's going to edit the video. Then you have the guy who's in the switcher. You know, I, I said at least 10 different jobs for a two-minute little thing. It's very expensive to create good content. And none of us. I heard this. I don't know if I told in this uh, podcast before, but I've heard this from a boss a long time ago, and I agree with him. That was almost 10 years ago. Was when I was an intern in the biggest newspaper in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And then he said, well, we were already in crisis, right? Everyone's like, oh, internet is going to kill newspapers and all that. And they're like, well, the problem with the internet is that it was born free. So now no one wants to pay for that. And when you do, you don't want to pay more than two, five or 10 bucks. So you're okay paying $15 for your fancy gelato or your fancy frappuccino, but you're not okay paying more than that for a good news. And unfortunately... Very expensive. So at the end of the day, when it comes about news and entertainment, we are all hostage of companies. Yeah, yeah. And and you're and you're absolutely right about the newspaper industry. I mean, you know, the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, I mean, look, even to put this show on, it costs money, right? By the way, I'm just gonna plug it again. If you want to support us, please Go to patreon.com. I'll leave the link in the description. We have all these different levels. And that was, in all honesty, to your point about content, that's why I made this so cheap for our listeners that they can get a lot of entertainment, okay, and they can get a lot of bang for their buck. I mean, $5 gets you your name shouted out before every single podcast. $10 gets you a poster and that, you know, I mean, that's two gallons of gas, and you're getting all this. I, I could go on and on and on. The point is, though, Patreon is is vital to content makers, you know, like us. But the thing is that, and you write about the newspapers, okay? Because every single day when I wake up and I read my USA Today, it says, would you like to subscribe? And, and they try to get you at the cheapest price. And, and it's also an exclusive, not exclusive, but there are certain things you cannot read on that paper unless you're a subscriber. And it's the same thing like the Times, the New York Times, or the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune, whatever. Because digital just completely took everything over. And you have, I mean, there's, there's still physical newspapers out there. But it's so, the majority of their revenue stream comes digital. And if they can type a story up, put it on a computer, send it to their editor, get it edited, all they got to do is hit a button and it's posted. So, no, but getting back to the the business side of it, you're right. It's all about business. I, I just think that there's a lot of different things here. 200,000 subscribers, though, is not a big deal. If it was 2 million subscribers... I'd be a little worried. And I mean, I think that it's going to be fast. I mean, the stock plummeted. So it, it plummeted almost $200. So Wall Street is going to see who's driving the bus here. Is it the company or is it the subscribers? And that being said, I think that the next week or two, maybe probably by the end of April, probably by the end of the summer, that's when it's really going to be interesting to see how things work. So 
yeah, I mean. It's also important, important to notice that Netflix suspended its service in Russia. So it definitely affected that too. That, I think, costed them like 700000 really? and, and you're right about the global. So that's, that's an interesting comment. I, I didn't know that. So that's probably one reason that they lost. Now, was it, did they give any reason why they suspended in Russia? I mean, obviously because of the, the world events, but. Like the same reason why everyone else pulled off everything from Russia, like Gucci is not selling that anymore and oh. all those things because of the invasion. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't even, I had no idea. And I, wow, that's Okay. So that's interesting. Now we'll see how things go forward from there. Yeah, it lost $40 okay. billion dollars in, in, in market value, Netflix. So, wow. That's just... It's about 26%. So. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of... It's like monopoly. I mean, most people think it's like monopoly money, right? <laughs> they don't see it. It's just, it, you know, things going up and down. So Monopoly was created to prove that the system doesn't work. You, you can play many times as you want, and the result is always going to be the same. Someone is going to have a lot of money, and someone is going to bankrupt. Yeah. There's not another. That's food. just, I mean, there's a strategy to everything, including board games. Well, yeah, but there's not really a strategy for Well, I, you're right. I, I'm kidding about that. But. but the thing is, it was created to prove that the system does not work, and we still leave playing Monopoly, and here we are, believing that there is something to chase that is different than that. But wow. now wow. we have a billionaire that can offer like billions of dollars for social media. That's just well. I, from what I understand, Elon Musk withdrew his offer. Yeah, he said it was just for a period of time, but he did. He made his offer, but it's for me, it's just incredible to to read that news that a guy offered more than he values. Like, hey, here are millions. How many billions of dollars he offered again? Do you remember? I don't remember. I want to say it's like twenty-three billion. I mean, that, that's just put this in perspective for a minute. He's, he lined up forty-six point five billion to fund his offer to buy Twitter. Forty-six point five billion dollars. Now, there's only been I want to say three or four times that I can remember off the top of my head that the lottery, like state lottery, like Mega Millions or Powerball has hit, and that's in like seven or eight states, has hit a billion dollars. Not just a million. That's with a B. Billion. Now, if you Google that, what's a billion dollars look like? <laughs> you will just see pallet after pallet after pallet after. Because it's so much. It's absurd. It's absurd that someone can oh. have this. I'm sorry. It, I, yeah. I mean... Yeah, so it's, it's just... with no surprise that we have over 70,000 people living on the streets of Los Angeles. And according to the director of the program, Tiny Homes, for every person we take out of the homeless situation, 1.25 goes into homeless situation. So, yeah, you do the math. It's it's chaos, total chaos. And, I, yeah. I'm, and no, you know, yeah. I interviewed these other list once and she said something so incredible so radical though but i kind of loved it she's like well i think that anyone that have a one billion dollar net worth should be you know handed a prize and say congratulations you won capitalism you cannot pass that you know like here you go your prize you won it congratulations moving on next one to get there you know 
you know, I think that companies and kind of getting off the subject, but I think companies can actually get too big for their bridges. I mean, absolutely. Take a look at McDonald's, and I'm just naming companies off the top of my head: McDonald's, Disney, Coca-Cola, Apple. These are all companies that are around the world, and they're worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. And when you get that big, and this is actually going to go to a movie I'm going to recommend later on, it's one of those things where he kept it small, and it worked. And, you know, business is one of those things. Look, and the number one thing is, at the end of the day, you're in business to do one thing, and it's to make money. However you do it, it's to make money in any event. So now, well, let's do the recommendations first. Had, did you see anything? I, I've got a couple in my head that have been bouncing around, but have you seen anything since we last spoke that Andy Warhol a movie Diary. or a TV show? Hmm? The Andy Warhol Diaries. Oh, okay. This is on Netflix. I've seen this. I've seen it's on Netflix. I've not seen it personally. How was it? It's pretty good, especially if you like the art. It's like it, it's very, it's very good. Definitely worth watching. Nice, yeah. It it seems like it's a artistic retro something that's lost today. Everybody wants something so modern, fast, and yesterday. It, and it's it's just easy to watch too. And it's you know it's not it's definitely good. So go watch it. It's nice to understand more about him and how. Even sad he was a little. If you see all his colorful paintings and arts, you might think something. But, you know, it's nice to yeah. understand what's behind it all. Nice. So, getting to, my, getting to my recommendation, what I was just talking about, he kept it small. There's a little movie that was made back in 2016. And it was called The Founder. And Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc. And he goes and he has this, he sells milkshakes for a living. And he goes to this little restaurant named McDonald's. And he says, and he loves it. Not only does he think the food's good, but he sees how it's operated and everything else. And he says, okay, I have an idea. We need to franchise this. And so eventually, I'm I'm not going to give the plot, I'm not going to give it too much away, but it's a, he was on the, on the comeback trail. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, he, he is the big star in this movie. You've got Nick Offer and John, John Carroll Lynch, you know, a couple others. But it's a really good movie. And, and so I, I get back to the business side of it for McDonald's because the premise, the whole thing was that he wanted to keep it small so the quality would stay the same. And as you see the film progress and, and move out and he wants to, you know he invites a couple of his, his friends to do it and then it just goes south and it's a really good and, and the other thing about it too is i'll say this much i've since i've seen this movie i've seen it like two or three times i've completely thought mcdonald's completely different every time i go to mcdonald's it's a completely different experience to that little hamburger stand and what happened and you want to talk about a business growing and growing and growing. And there's another there's another movie about the McDonald's story itself, right? And how the guys who actually created McDonald's was kind of like... I'm sure there is. I don't know it off the top of my head. 
It's very famous. Yeah. Let me get it here. I've heard yeah. it's really good. I, it's called... Get, it's getting me the founder, but I think there's another one too. Yeah, I think there might be. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that that is that is Michael. It's a little film that Michael Keaton did really, really well in. I mean, he's not gonna didn't win any awards or anything, but just it was a really cool film. And just to see how McDonald's came to be, and when they first started, they were only selling three things: cheeseburgers, hamburgers, and French fries. That's it. So, yeah, that that was that's my pick of the week. It's it, it's definitely definitely worth worth uh, sitting down to watch okay so next week we're going a little up in the air but I, I think what we might do is since Doctor Strange is only a couple of weeks away we'll, we'll figure it out but I, well, there's either going to be one of two subjects for us bad superhero movies or because there are a lot of bad superhero movies we could go on for that about it or we might do something DC related DC, no, I'm sorry, DC, listen to me. Uh, Marvel, 15 years later. I mean, I know it's 08 was Iron Man, but 15, almost 15 years later. Because I think with 27 movies, with the number of stars that were in this, these films, with over $16 billion to its credit, with all the television shows, Netflix shows, everything. This thing is is very close to being an empire. And there are, I mean, so, so many favorites that it's like, well, what do you choose? We'll figure out a way to actually not quantify, but actually figure out which ones are our favorites. And then week after that, we're going to do probably a Doctor, we'll definitely do a Doctor Strange 2 preview show. And what's going to be upcoming in Multiverse of Madness? I mean, all you have to do is listen to the uh, George Pinocchio interview and how he interviewed Victoria Alonso. And she said, it's crazy. It's absolutely off the wall crazy. Sam Raimi, of course, directed this. And he did, believe it or not, Spider-Man all those years ago. I know you said Tobey Maguire. You said Tobey Maguire was your favorite Spider-Man, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it all. I have to watch more. I'm not a DC or Marvel girl. I, but yeah, I, so yeah, Sam Raimi directed this, and then I'm gonna be very polemic here. For me, bad superhero movies are all movies. I don't. <laughs> so you might, you might just put your two cents in and go. <laughs> I know. I mean, for me, it's like I just hate them. I think Aquaman sucked so much. I. Even Wonder Woman for me was. But see, and this is, but your perspective though, I would, I'm dying to hear your perspective, and we'll we'll talk about this next week, because I'd love to know why, from your point of view, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way, there's nothing wrong with this. I'd love to know from why your point of view, why you don't like it. Anyways, so next that is next week, and don't forget, ladies and gentlemen. That starting in May, we are going to be doing Flashback Fridays. And that means every single week, we're going to be having a new Marvel movie, starting with Iron Man, then going to The Incredible Hulk, then doing Iron Man 2, every single one, 27 plus. It's going to go all the way until the end of the year, so stay tuned for that. Okay, until next week, 
I'm David Steele. I'm Eloaura Zen. And you have been listening to Real Talks.